0: Welcome to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, the first podcast
1: to focus on the political side
0: of pharmacy. Here's your host, Eric
1: Geyer. Welcome, Political Pharmacist Podcast listeners. I'm your host, Eric Geyer. And with me today, I have the honor of talking to the NCPEA CEO, Douglas Hoy. That's National Community Pharmacists Association, for those of you who aren't used to the acronym. And welcome to the podcast, uh, Mr. Hoy.
2: Thank you, Eric. Pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah. So yesterday was one heck of a day for pharmacy. Rutledge versus PCMA was decided by the Supreme Court. 8-0 in favor of Rutledge, which means states can now regulate PBMs. What was your first thought when you read that in December 10th, when you saw a unanimous, basically knockout decision in this case?
2: Well, first a double take, just to make sure (laughs) I was reading it correctly. And then just pure, total elation. This is something that you know, NCPA has been working on for the ERISA issue for over 15 years. It goes back to 2005 with a law that was actually successfully passed in the state of Maine, but then the courts reversed it, and then then Iowa passed legislation. It got reversed by ERISA, then Arkansas, then North Dakota, then Oklahoma, and we were just over the moon, just so thrilled that not only did the Supreme Court see it in our view, of course, the right way, but it was unanimous. I mean, just a total, just a total rejection of all of the PBM claims. It, it was a sweet, sweet day yesterday, Eric. It was a sweet day.
1: Yeah, and I think all over pharmacy. I know I put several tweets out, uh, and it was just like I couldn't stop sharing it because it was such good news. In fact, like you, I did double take. I started checking sources. I'm like, this can't be true. Like, wait a minute, what happened? Like, did I just stumble on this? Am I, am I losing my mind here? And like you said, to see that eight zero and to see everything just refuted was absolutely amazing. For listeners who want to listen to it, I put the whole hearing as an earlier episode on this podcast, so you can refer back to that. And, you know, listening to it, there's some, some points where I'm like, oh, yeah, like I, I saw that was like a, a body shot if this was a boxing match, if you will, to the PBM argument. But there's a few others. I'm like, oh, okay, they made a point there. Can you kind of de- describe or elaborate what this means for pharmacists and pharmacies all over?
2: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that it. It allows states to finally regulate PBMs. Now it's not carte blanche. It's not like states have total authority over PBMs. But before, it, for years and years, in fact, NCPA has our state affairs division. We have a pretty robust um, government affairs team at NCPA. We're we're known for for advocacy within the profession. And when we look at state laws, we found at least forty state laws that have passed. I mean, they're they are signed into law, but They've been hamstrung because of this looming threat of ERISA that's hung over their head. So the clarification, the clarity that's going to come from this Supreme, that has come from this Supreme Court ruling is immediately going to free up 40 pieces of legislation that will be helpful to finally, finally oversee, have greater oversight over PBMs. It's also going to blow the barn doors off of state legislation, other state legislation, other pro-pharmacy, pro-consumer I mean, I think that's one of the big keys for the Arkansas legislation that was in dispute and and why the Supreme Court sought our way is that this is pro-consumer. This is pro-patient type of legislation, and it's also pro-small business. So for state legislatures, we see more pro-pharmacy, pro-consumer legislation going through the states and to further get get the arms around the the PBMs and, and their shady practices.
1: Yeah. So th- like you said, this is pro small business. Now this could make it, obviously it's going to depend on legislation and what each state does, but this can make it much, much easier for pharmacists to go and expand their practice. Say they worked and they felt like they couldn't get contracts because of, you know, clawbacks, DR fees, every other thing we hear about. Now they have a legit shot. It looks like going forward to go open their own small business, which means tax revenues, stay local, all those other things, more jobs are created and they're not shipped off to wherever the PBM headquarters is or Wall Street, for lack of a better term. And, you know, this is really just a huge thing so that pharmacists can take back our profession. And then on top of that, even bigger is pass those savings on to patients, because we all know and we've seen. Uh, some of Antonio Chacha's work with uh, 46 Brooklyn or Three access Advisors with how drug prices are manipulated and how the the middleman keep a large spread. In my state of Ohio, we saw 240 million dollars in one year. That was just the Medicaid program. That wasn't even Medicare or private insurers. So that's a lot of money that can be taken right off of the taxes. And when a time where they're facing budget crisis with COVID, so like the sooner this gets acted on, the better for everybody, the better for states, and the more money we have to to put it where it's needed instead of lining the pockets of people who aren't necessarily helping the state. And is that kind of the way you're seeing this too?
2: I see this, yes, that this ruling will be complementary to other legislation that's been introduced or is being circulated. I mean, there's a number of model bills that NCPA has drafted and in partnership with the state associations have collaborated on how does this state, this legislation need to be kind of tailored for your state and the state association is gonna have the best insight into you know what is possible in their state what the needs are but yeah, absolutely you gave the example of Ohio where they found over 2 over 200 million dollars that's going to the PBM rather than to I don't know building roads or paying firefighters or school teachers or maybe even paying pharmacists a fair uh, reimbursement for their for their prescriptions so yeah we definitely see it as a way to rein in PBMs you know one of the arguments that the PBMs made and and Justice Sotomayor basically you know, really slapped it down. She inquired about it during the hearing on October 6th because the P- PBMs were saying, well, if you know, if you reverse this law, you know, it's going to be basically total chaos uh, <laughs> for insurance plans and you know, it's pandemonium and there there will be no efficiencies. And she asked for examples, and the you know, PCMA's attorney, the the examples that he gave essentially were examples that didn't allow the PBM to make as much money as they were making before. So yeah, it impacted the PBM and how much money they made, but as far as this wide-scale chaos throughout the system, it did not. And and she rejected that or they rejected that and she highlighted that in her comments, so I thought that was that was
1: really cool. Yeah, I'm going to put the whole uh, Supreme Court statement, I believe it's 19 pages in full, uh, link to it in the show notes so people want to go read that. It really is just an absolute kind of body slam to the arguments they had there and a total re- repudiation of them. And, you know, I, there's no way there's going to be chaos with this because I know in my state of Ohio, Representative Scott Lips, he's down by Cincinnati here, he's been on the podcast he's preparing basically he was preparing for this to basically happen and for when the legislators to come back on the health committee to kind of start moving with with rules and regulations on this stuff to kind of rein it in and so you're seeing that in a lot of states not just my state of ohio obviously you said oklahoma passed some laws last year that kind of made i think it was the eighth circuit this year and got upheld and you're just seeing this more and more where states know where this is they're digging into their budgets and it's not going to be total chaos there there won't be any chaos if anything they're so prepared for it if it might take a little bit to kind of recoup the money from it, but that's a different story. If anything, it's going to start making an impact right away, which is going to be amazing. What else is NCPA seeing with this? What are they looking to do in the future? And where can people basically join them to help with this fighter? kind of what can they do to help?
2: Well, you know, just to add to as far as the, the 19 page uh, opinion from the court, the law firm that we've been engaged with from the beginning and we recommended to the state of Arkansas and then work with the state of Arkansas to support the state of Arkansas and who also, our, our general counsel also did the same over the last five or six years as well. They did a one-page summary that uh, we sent out today. So that may be, you know, if someone wants the cliff notes <laughs> of the, um, the opinion, that's, that's out there for the, the membership. Um, NCPA's goal or organizational goal is to change the pharmacy payment model. That is something that we've been very loud and proud about for several years now, and when we say change the pharmacy payment model, that's a very holistic statement on our part. So it's not only for fair and reasonable reimbursement for the prescription, it is also recognition for the services that we do provide and can provide. So this, legisl- or this uh, ruling from the Supreme Court is basically helps to unshackle. It doesn't completely take the PBM shackles off, but it sure loosens them up. And it helps unshackle pharmacy pharmacists, which you and I are both pharmacists, to be able to do the things that we are trained and able to do. So this is a door opener. I think it's one of the many puzzle pieces to be able to change the pharmacy payment model. CPSN, that's another. You know, that's a company that NCPA co-founded to enable pharmacists to network and get paid for their services. That's another piece that is actually complementary to what's happened with the Supreme Court. Our state and government affairs, we're constantly uh, working on the state side, working with the state partners, and on the federal side, leading the way on pharmacy DIR and PBM legislation. So all these pieces are coming together to change the pharmacy payment model. It's unsustainable. It's covert. It's opaque. People cannot... Uh, understand it. Consumers cannot understand it. So this is a major piece in our strategy to change the pharmacy payment model, both from a marketplace standpoint, which is CPSN, and from a regulatory legislative standpoint, which is our strong government affairs.
1: And like you said, because it's so covert, opaque, whatever term you want to use, it does hurt patients. We've seen that numerous times where there's you know PBMs doing this forcing this hand restricting access to this you know all these numerous games that they play if you will and you know this is just proof that sunlight can be the the best form of disinfectant because allowing states to dig in and to control their funds and control what happens in their state with le- with things like this is huge i don't know if this will mean that we can see a change in medicare part d at all since obviously PBMs have a play there but I, from my understanding, it at least opens the door somewhat to that. So we could see major change all across the board and, you know, hopefully savings upon savings when it comes to patient and government spending, which is just, again, a win for everybody involved except a couple of corporations that happen to own like 75% of the market for PBMs or more. So uh, any other comments for people before you uh, you leave us today?
2: Yeah, just just a couple. Um you know, one, I just want to give a shout out to the Arkansas Pharmacists Association. You know, we work very closely with them and, you know, they, they have been fantastic partners in supporting the state of Arkansas. Uh, you know, they, they are the ones, you know, we, we helped some as far as getting the legislation passed in the state, but they, they did, you know, the fast work to get it passed in the state. But then when PCMA challenged it, that's where we really you know, partnered with Arkansas over the last four or five years, and they are fantastic partners. One thing I want to make sure, because it just hit me last, late last night, I was responding to a lot of thank yous and attaboys and texts and emails and phone calls pretty late last night, and as I responded to one of them, I was responding to a pharmacist attorney who owns pharmacies, and one of the things I said to him, and he, he actually did a, a rotation through here many years ago, a student of mine, I said, you know, this ruling is not just for this acute moment in time this ruling is going to be in law school textbooks or whatever a textbook looks like these days but <laughs> law school students are going to be looking at this law clerks are going to be looking at this and courts all over the country will now have this as precedent for ERISA and pharmacies and for the behavior of PBMs and so in this 8080 macdown is going to have a ripple effect not only in our own pharmacy community but in the way that in the eyes of the law which has been a real obstacle frankly because there've been you know many lawsuits that either we've uh, instigated some have been successful some have not others we've considered and we've seen what the courts have ruled this is a total game changer from the legal standpoint and I'm not a lawyer I'm a pharmacist but that is when I was writing those words late last night, I, that, that was probably the most gratifying moment mm. of this entire you know, 24-hour whirlwind. And then the last thing, Eric, I'll say is something that we've said for you know, 50 years, which is, and it goes to the name of your, your podcast, for pharmacists, you have to get into politics or get out of pharmacy. And because a lot of times people think pharmacy and politics don't mix, well, they're wrong. Uncle Sam's our biggest customer, whether we want him as our biggest customer <laughs> or not, it's a whole nother matter, but he is. And so if we as a profession are not politically active, as unsavory as it may feel sometimes, if we're not politically active, you know, the old saying, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, we're, we're going to be on the menu. Everyone I encourage to be politically active you know, NCPA is, you know, by far the most politically active trade association in, the, in pharmacy. We'd love even, you don't have to be a pharmacy owner to be part of NCPA. We have staff pharmacists who are members. So just love for, you know, folks to, to, to join our cause, join our fight.
1: Yeah. And for years, we've heard a lot of pharmacists say, hey, these organizations don't do much. They don't do much. This is proof. And this isn't just like a little thing of like, hey, we got you a lunch break. This is game changer. this is like we could give you your business back give you your practice back give you your patients back and so that's why this is so big and i wanted you on the podcast today so again douglas hoy ceo of national community pharmacist association thank you again for coming on the podcast i'll put a lot of links to all the stuff in the show notes for people so they can find you guys and kind of help join the fight with some of the stuff and get active so thank you so much for your time
2: thanks eric tell them to come on board
1: and my next guest is Dr. Scott Kenor, CEO of American Pharmacists Association. So welcome back to the podcast, Scott.
3: Thanks so much for having me, Eric. I appreciate it.
1: So obviously we had big news here this past week. Last Thursday, December 10th, the Supreme Court dropped their 8-0 decision, oh. and obviously in favor of Rutledge, Rutledge and Rutledge PCMA. What was your first thought when you heard that news?
3: Holy crap. I said, wow, we get it. Holy crap, my first thought was, this is the beginning of the end. You know, PBMs, you know this, so much money, so much lobbying power. They cut us off the path every single time. We've never been able to get anything substantive. We passed state laws. We couldn't do it. And I like, wow, we actually did it. We got them. Now, I'm not naive. They have billions and billions of dollars, and they're going to go down without a fight. But we've got an opportunity now that we did not have before.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what's so big about this is now the, like I said, the gates have been opened to kind of reel them in in their practices. And I don't think either one of us have a problem with them making a profit or them kind of doing the right things therapeutically, if you will. But it's more along the just the pure greed, abuse, and what's led to just absolute horrible working conditions for pharmacists, which leads to poor patient outcomes and poor patient care is is the big issue.
0: You know
3: absolutely on that but also just you know creating pharmacy deserts right I mean uh, we have, what 10,000 community pharmacies closed in a 10-year period and it's you know gotten worse since then and that that impacts patient care we have pharmacy deserts where there's there's no health care there's no pharmacy people have to drive a lot further I mean' it's, it's just it's absolutely horrible
0: what they've done.
1: Yeah. And especially in the rural areas, right? When it's not yeah, exactly like they have absolutely. access to a major hospital or sometimes even their doctor's office very easily, that pharmacy can be an absolute lifeline for them. But yeah, no, they're really creating those deserts and those pharmacies are a true lifeline for these for these people out there in the uh, in the rural parts of the country. So what was your favorite moment from the hearing though, if you had one?
3: Well, you know, listen to here, I'm not a lawyer, you listen to it too, and I didn't know what they were saying. I was nervous, but uh Elisa Bernstein, who's my head of government uh, affairs, is a lawyer, and she's like, "No, it's okay. Uh, Justice Thomas is asking questions like, is it good or bad and and I honestly <laughs> i I didn't know you know, and uh, I was nervous and then uh We talked to the lawyer representing Arkansas uh, afterward, and she go, oh, yeah, we got an 80% chance. I'm like, I'm glad you got that out of there because I didn't, uh, but I I didn't think it was negative. I just didn't know.
1: Yeah, I think the Supreme Court justices, they show their professionals in there by just being, I don't want to say stone cold, but very neutral on it. Like, I think it was Supreme Court Justice Roberts I heard just take an absolute shot at the PBMs at one part about so you can't be regulated or you can't be punished, but the government can and the patient can, and they're kind of like, yep. And I was like, oh, yep. that's that's a, that's a body shot, if you will, in this fight. So I thought that was a, <laughs> a good moment. That was to,
3: good. Yeah. And, but I tell you, I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I was nervous when I was listening.
1: So would this case be possible without so much involvement from multiple pharmacy organizations, whether it be Arkansas, NCPA, or APHA?
3: Oh, my God, no. I mean, clearly Arkansas, right? Because they, they were relentless. John Benson, I think you're going to have him on, too. What a what a guy what a trooper what a patriot Uh, you know Doug and MCPA helping all along the way Uh, OPA we wrote uh, I can never pronounce it it Amicus or Amicus brief every time (laughs) I would say it wrong you know
0: but we wrote one of those
3: uh, which was super important but the other part of this Eric you know being an Ohio guy uh, I, I looked it up page 21 of the actual brief I'm gonna read a little bit over here but this was Antonio Chacha at the Ohio Pharma Association, he did it through his uh, other company, Free Access Advisors. This is before I hired Antonio at APHA to be a senior advisor, but it, it's a little long here. But they're talking about data. A lot, there's not much data on PBM activities, but they, they quote it here. You know, for example, a study by the Ohio Department of Medicaid, which used Antonio's firm, found that in 2017-18, PBMs reimbursed pharmacies, $454.3 million for beneficiary drugs and charges. Ohio's MCO is 662 million, a 45.9 percent markup. You know the auditor, blah blah blah. Similar a recent study in New York, and then it says, you know, three-axis advisors, TBM spread. This happened because the Ohio Pharmacist Association and Antonio, you know, were were upset and trying to figure out how to get these guys. You know, they passed laws and then the, they couldn't enforce them. So right here in the Supreme Court brief is the impact of uh pharmacy professional organizations i mean it's just boom page 21 it's 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 amazing
1: and obviously uh for listeners here's a little tease antonio is going to be on later in this podcast so i think that's going to be a a pleasant surprise to hear from him how much hope do you think that that this really gives the average pharmacist on the bench that we can kind of take back control of our profession practices and really the care for our patients
3: well, Eric, I think it's the only hope they've had. We've just been beat down, right? It's just over and over and DIR fees. And and, uh, and I think this is the first time I think community pharmacy, I think, yeah. And they're like, Oh my God! There's actually a chance, you know, for us to survive to take care of our patients, and it's huge. You know, the other part of what pharmacy associations have done is we've really, really put this in the public spotlight. I mean, the average citizen generally wouldn't have any idea about this, right? But we've been relentlessly hammering on social media. And the the other excellent thing, the California Attorney General Becerra, who you know, I don't know most of the states. Uh, supported Arkansas in that, and he was the leader of it. He's the Attorney General in California. You know who he's going to be now,
1: right? Yeah, he's going to be. Was head of HHS. Yeah, the head
3: of HHS, right? And he's the he's the PBM Slayer Attorney General from California. That bodes well. I mean, my God, brother. So yes, you can tell I'm excited. I know you're excited. I think the average, especially community pharmacists, right, who who just you know struggling to stay afloat so they can continue to care in their patients. You know, another thing, though, you said is the work conditions, Eric, it's all about payment reform. That's why the working conditions are, are so bad. You yeah. know, pharmacists, the model, you know, you know, we've talked about this before, but we don't get paid for doing what we're school for, and it gets, used to be able to make enough off the product that you can actually counsel and talk to patients, and now you can't, and you know, you're on the, the treadmill, the hamster wheel, and uh, it's, uh, it's unsafe in a lot of places. So this is the beginning of the end, um, uh, and, and PBM reform and payment reform, right? The other stuff we're doing to get pharmacists paid. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on a rant. I'm still on a high, right? I'm still on a high. Can you tell?
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's why, you know, listeners should really take this to heart when we're saying we need them to step up here and kind of, you know, we, the lineup has been set now. Now we need to go in and help reel these things in so we can change it, not just for us, but so for our patients too, because we know we're a pretty selfless profession. So, what are APHA's next steps with now that this is kind of settled that PBMs can be regulated?
3: Oh my God, this is great. So, absolutely, we're, we're, we're getting together. Um, you know, one of my focuses was really to help the states because. You know, again, I came from a state where I was pretty involved and saw the stuff they could do and hired the, one of the leaders from there. But, uh, you know, we're going to – a pathway, right? It was unanimous, and the Supreme Court's basically, yeah, if you – you know, they kind of told them how to write a law, right, so that the PBMs can't get it overturned. Yeah. So we're going to look at we're, work with draft language. We're, I'm already uh, working with, uh, you know, a couple pharmacists who are in the uh, legislature. I think it's New Hampshire, Gary Marchant, if I pronounce that right. We're We're, we're talking to folks to say – how do we help states now what are the the draft laws and and you know how do i get my chief strategist and my chief advisor antonio to go testify at these states apha is going to throw everything we have at it, man everything we got
1: yeah and that's something that i appreciate like you said as a frontline pharmacist here knowing that so many times we're critical of our organizations of what do they do well this is one that would not have happened without these organizations so again scott thanks for your leadership Thank you for saying that, right? Because, you know, the average pharmacist doesn't know, right? They don't know what we do. We're fighting every day,
3: but this is the biggest example of success that would not have happened. So every pharmacist that wants good working conditions, every pharmacist that wants to keep community pharmacies over, every pharmacist that cares about racial disparities in health care because there is, there's no access to these, they have an obligation to join up with Doug of their community pharmacist, all of them join up with APHA, and their states. Boom! Look what Arkansas has done. Look what Ohio has done. Look at New York. They—it's they, both. You gotta—you gotta step up. We can't do it without you. We're outgunned. We still won this one, brother. We won it because we were relentless. And members like you. Oh my God! You know the things you do for helping get this, the word out. I need every pharmacist to be an Eric man. So spread the word, brother.
1: Well, hey, I appreciate that. Sometimes it's uh. It's just me sitting here behind a microphone kind of just talking politics and pharmacy, which is so niche. But if we get everyone doing it, that's huge. I know I've even discussed kind of some of how the inner workings work with with my patients and when they get confused or they hit a hurdle. And when they reach out to legislators with the pharmacist, that makes it pretty obvious of, of what needs to be done as opposed to a lawyer from some, you know, quote unquote, big pharma or big PBM group. So again, Scott, thanks for everything you do and keep up the strong work there at APHA.
3: Back at you, my friend. Thank you.
1: My next guest on the podcast is Dr. John Vinson. He's the CEO of Arkansas Pharmacists Association, who was kind of the people who helped bring this case to the Supreme Court. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Vinson.
4: Hey, thanks for having me t- this evening. Dr. Gower, it's great to be here.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great, great week in pharmacy, obviously, with the Supreme Court case. So what was your first thought Thursday, December 10th, when the Supreme Court case dropped their eight zero decision in favor of Rutledge in the Rutledge versus PCMA case?
4: Well, my <laughs> – My initial thought was, uh, first of all, my initial feeling was pure joy and happiness for 250 million Americans that receive prescription drugs and services from uh, America's pharmacists. uh, There's so many in our profession who've had their careers disrupted, patients who've had poor outcomes because of the dubious practices and unethical pricing strategies and, and plan designs at PBMs that implemented over the last 20 years but you know in reflecting on how we got here I just was really humbled and appreciative of all the pharmacists in all 50 states plus the District of Columbia rowing the boat in the same direction for a common goal it was really something that gave me chill bumps I think it's a line that was drawn in the sand for years to come for an improved uh, playing field no matter Whether you're dispensing drugs, providing clinical services, or providing services uh, in the community, I think it's a great day for the United States.
1: Yeah, I I 100% agree with you on this. I kind of like taking this chance to speak with all you leaders to really highlight your efforts in this. Can you kind of elaborate on what this means for a state pharmacy organization to kind of like back this all to the Supreme Court and then win it?
4: The win in the Supreme Court to see the ability to – have meaningful regulations for the PBM industry, which is a $500 billion industry. And if you include the insurance companies that they are now aligned with a trillion dollar industry, a lot of money at stake, a lot of uh, outcomes for patient care at stake, which is the most important piece of it. And for a state pharmacy, pharmacy organization to win at the highest level. And we didn't do it alone. We did it with strong grassroots within our state, with our state association. We had great support from national organizations like NASPA, the National Alliance of State Pharmacy Association, NCPA being our cornerstone partner from day one, and the American Pharmacists Association. But at the state level, with the morale booster, it's going to be good for membership. It's going to be good for working on what we really are here for. And that's do things like provide patient care that saves lives, like the vaccines that we're about to provide that have just gotten an emergency use authorization through the FDA. So we can start to get back to work for what we're really here for, and that's providing patient care.
1: Yeah, and obviously, the COVID is just underlying why we need these pharmacies to have their doors open, especially in a state like, you know, little old Arkansas. When people think of Arkansas, they don't think of like a landmark Supreme Court case necessarily that's going to change healthcare in the United States. That's at least that's not what I think of. And I've actually worked for six months in Arkansas. It's just one of those things that kind of shows that everyone can make a difference if you stand up and be heard. And really, why people and pharmacists need to join and support these pharmacy state orgs because you know you guys are really tied tight to the grassroots of the profession and you know you guys aren't bogged down by a lot of the, maybe some of the DC chatter if you will that goes on every day and you guys have that direct connection that you know hey what's this problem or oh, you're seeing this reimbursement problem well this guy over here is too and think can Put, kind of put together some of the puzzle, if not a whole piece of the pu- of the whole puzzle, and then pass it on and things like that. So that's why I really think that's important to make sure that people are joining your state pharmacist organizations, or in your case, Arkansas Pharmacist Association. What sparked this case? Was there like one incident or like one like aha moment that really kind of fired this up, if you will?
4: I would, I would highlight two things. One, uh, what started the need for the regulation in the first place where they take it or leave it, uh, unethical business practices by PBMs and the contracts that provide a lot of uh, unpredictability in business models, oftentimes deceptive things like being both a price taker and a price setter and then setting the prices heads they win and tails their competition loses where they pay the pharmacies they open they own at higher rates than local pharmacies where the patient prefers to receive their care. Those kind of business practices led to the legislation in the first place. When the legislation was passed, my opinion is that PCMA and the PBMs, they didn't get their way. They're used to using their deep pockets and their influence and power like they used to in Washington, D.C. And when they don't get their way at the state level, instead of just accepting it and complying with the law, they ignore it. And then they bully the state legislators, they bully the pharmacists. they bully the attorney general's office, they bully the insurance commissioner, they threaten, and finally they sue. And that's what happened in our state. That's what a bully does. They push people around and they sued our state. Well, our state didn't back down and David versus Goliath, David came out fighting. And our attorney general, our pharmacists of the state, our state legislators and one of my favorite movies, Eric, It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> one of the best quotes at the very end it said when the angel was talking to um, George, when Clarence said, George, no man is a failure who has friends. And Arkansas has lots of friends <laughs> in every state that backed us and had our back. Uh, certainly over the last year and even going back 20 years, where similar lawsuits have been challenged, similar laws have been passed, in fact, 46 state attorney generals in states both red and blue with America more divided than ever, one thing united them all, the PBM's dubious business practices. <laughs> and the Supreme Court saw through it, and they now have submitted the state's rights to regulate the Byzantine drug pricing that PBM's uh, engaged with.
1: Yeah, you know, as someone who's maybe just a little bit conservative, whenever I see something going to the Supreme Court, I was thinking, like, what can go wrong? And maybe that's just the pharmacist in me. So... Uh, you know, politics aside, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed and she had sat in on this hearing, I was thinking, oh, God, that was when we had in our corner, like, for sure with this. But then to see it go 8-0, it was just like, wow, OK, we had everyone in our corner on this. I shouldn't have been so worried about this, which is kind of like the politics of it, if you will. But the one thing with this is there's always going to be a next step, right? Like there's going to be laws going to be changed, made or you know, reformulated, redrawn up. What is the next step for an organization like Arkansas Pharmacists Association here? Is it just to enforce and uphold the law and make sure that the the government does that? Or is there like another next step that you guys are taking?
4: I would say there are three or four things that we would need to do. And the first of those three or four things would be to study our existing laws that are on the books and work to work to educate our members what those laws do, encourage them to take advantage of them and meet with the with the regulatory agencies whether that's the state board of pharmacy the insurance commissioner or and or the attorney general's office which in our state is all three and work with them to have those laws actually enforced Uh, second thing would be to look for ways to tweak those laws to stop the loopholes and strengthen them there are some parts of our laws that are on the books now that where there are going to be some needs to modify some language so we'll be sitting down with many of those stakeholders that I just mentioned, plus our attorneys to figure out how to strengthen those laws to prevent the PBMs from uh, finding loopholes in those laws. And then finally, don't forget to look for new business models and practice models. Don't just rely on the regulatory pathway. Also look for creative business solutions. There's a lot of excitement right now about a couple of uh, Medicare Part D plans around the nation. Also, a Medicare Advantage plan where pharmacists have started these companies, and they're putting in place uh, new models of care that are fair, objective, transparent, patient-centered, and they could turn the industry upside down when we use our collective pharmacists around the country to implement plan designs that are win-win-win. So we can't just sit back and, and celebrate the regulatory victory. We've also got to play offense and implement new business models.
1: Yeah, and kind of one thing I hear that you you saying there to sum it up in an easy way is It's easier to ride a wave than it is to swim upstream. Previously, we were swimming upstream. Now, we're riding the wave out of change with this one, which is going to be a lot easier because we've opened the floodgates to some of these things, as you alluded to there. So again, thanks for helping head this fight at even the state level to kind of get it all the way to the Supreme Court. I I can't express my gratitude for people like you enough as just a frontline pharmacist here. So thanks for joining me, and thanks for the fight that you put up there, John.
4: Thanks, Eric. Happy to be uh, your friend. Glad to call you my friend. And we're in this together. This, this law is not the final. Uh, it's only the beginning, right? There's a lot of work ahead, but it's certainly a huge shot in the arm to our profession for fairness
1: moving forward. Which is why pharmacists need to join because there's a lot of work to, to go with this, but I feel it's more of a downhill battle from here than what it was previously. So thank you again so much for coming on the podcast.
4: Thank you very much. Have a great uh, look forward to hearing the podcast. Thanks,
1: Eric. And my next guest on the podcast probably needs no introduction to most of you in pharmacy. It's Antonio Chacha. He is the CEO of 46 Brooklyn and the chief strategy officer for Three Access Advisors and has some other advisory roles there with APHA as uh, Scott Knorr had alluded to earlier. So welcome to the podcast. Finally, Antonio Chacha.
0: Great to be here, Eric.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good day for you because we saw what happened with PCMA and Rutledge last week. What were your first thoughts when you kind of saw that eight uh, zero decision come down in favor of uh, Rutledge instead of the PBMs?
0: Yeah, I, th- I thought I I had to read it like five different times because <laughs> I'll be honest, I I was a little bit pessimistic, largely just because of you know uh, many years of of learning that this is not an easy thing to do to bring accountability to the drug supply chain. So that general pessimism uh, had me do beyond a triple take to see. Because I, I thought there was maybe a very slim chance. I thought that it, it would go Rutledge's way. I definitely would not have bet that it would be uh, eight and zero in Rutledge's favor.
1: Yeah, and you know, I kind of I had the same take you did. I sat down at my computer. No one had told me about it, and I just checked the internet. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, what? I had to read this wrong. So I started like Googling and checking everything, I had to triple check myself to make sure what I was reading was right. So, what was your favorite moment of the case or of the hearing, if you will?
0: yeah, I mean, I, I really liked how the attorneys on behalf of Rutledge really kind of framed up you know how the PBM's role uh, is situated in the drug supply chain. And the just the very nature that they could have such an undue influence on the supply chain, yet somehow be the only member of the supply chain. Who could be impervious to state or regulatory authority? I thought they did a really good job of asserting, you know, really one of the fundamentals of the U.S. government, which is that states, you know, really are their own labs of democracy. And we, oh, I think, we all know one of the chief uh, the chief goal of the Supreme Court is to make sure that they're upholding the values of the Constitution. And I think we it goes without saying. That uh, George Washington and, and Thomas Jefferson and the like didn't sit around and say, "Yeah, we're gonna, we want states to have their own their, their own rights and capabilities to self-govern, except when preempted by ERISA, <laughs> <laughs> except when it comes to drug middlemen." <laughs> um, so I, when you when you look at it through that lens, I think that you know the outcome should have been highly predictable. I just, again, my pessimism got in the way.
1: Yeah, you've been a huge advocate in working with pharmacy since, I think it was 2009, back with Ohio Pharmacists and obviously now with APHA. And you were one of the people who was weirdly named in this case. How did that feel to be named in this from some of the work you've done?
0: It was really cool. You know, we fell into trying to uh, figure out how the system was working out of necessity. As has been, you know, well, prodigal, you know, well, you know, pharmacists in Ohio were just getting bludgeoned to death by the PBM industry. And on the other end of the spectrum, you had a plan sponsor, in our case, the Department of Medicaid in Ohio, that saw, you know, real exorbitant costs going through the roof at the same time that pharmacy payouts were going down. And and that kind of set us off on this little whodunit to figure out, you know, how this system really works. Unsurprisingly... We found that there were some significant issues in our Medicaid program where PBMs were essentially paying pharmacies low and billing high and then pocketing the difference. Ohio is by no means unique, uh, which is why we started doing what we're doing. Uh, At 46 Brooklyn, we started actually showing, uh, using data visualizations, how PBMs are setting prices in state Medicaid programs across the country. And we were inundated by so many plan sponsors and provider groups and government entities after we launched, we realized that there was not really anybody, there wasn't a good market solution for folks to come in and diagnose drug pricing problems. So we started Three Access Advisors shortly after, and we did projects in the state of New York, Michigan, Illinois, and Florida. Uh, The fact that our New York report, which was the first uh, big report we did, at our firm, see it, you know the New York report as our first major drug pricing deep dive as a footnote in a Supreme Court case, that's, the, that's beyond the impact that we ever thought we would have had when we started.
1: Yeah, and I think it just speaks to the work you're doing, and I don't want to use the term like you're doing God's work, but I feel like no matter who looks at what you're doing is you're doing the right work because it benefits patients, it can drive costs down, and it saves, you know, the government spending tax money, and also helps, you know, the pharmacists just provide care to their people. The only person it really hurts is the middleman. But you know, if you've got three or four different groups who are all benefiting from it, and only one person who benefits, that just really underlines why this case went 8-0 the way it did at least in my opinion. And again, the work you've done pharmacists cannot thank you enough for this. I know I've, you know, we speak all the time about some of this stuff, but you know, I really think pharmacists need to follow up with 46 Brooklyn and, you know, three excess advisors follow what you guys are doing. 46 Brooklyn has some great nerdy articles, but man, when you read it, it's just like, it ends up being one of those dives. You just start digging. You're like, Oh, wait a minute. Okay. That now this, now it just keeps building on itself. And I personally love the work you guys put out there. So I, I can't plug it enough for what you do, even though it is pretty nerdy in what it does, it's so important at the same time.
0: Well, we have, I have a great team, uh, Eric Packman who is a non-pharmacist, you know, came at this and looking at it from a very different business lens. And then Ben Link, who is a pharmacist on my team, is just an absolute wizard. And, and look, you know, we've had a lot, of, a lot of really good collaboration along the way where we've been able to learn from, you know, the experts. You know, American Pharmacy Cooperative Inc., which is a pharmacy buying group. We've learned a lot about, you know, buying groups. You know, even Adam Fine at Drug Channels. He has been a wealth of knowledge that we've been able to kind of learn from over the years. The one thing that we saw in the marketplace that was missing is that nobody was really providing granular level data on how the system was working. So we set out to make sure that whatever granular data can be made available, that the public has a right to know how the system is functioning. Because we all hear it over and over again drug costs are too much, drug costs are too much. But we have, as a general public, we have no idea how the sausage is being made. Like any good Italian, um, we're <laughs> trying to make sure we show how the sausage is made.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this just really speaks to why pharmacists need to be in some of these organizations. Uh, even if you're not necessarily an active member, just paying your dues goes a long way because you started some of this, like I said, with in, in Ohio. And Eric Packman, I think if I remember correctly, was formerly a Wall Street guy, reached out to you knowing that people kept bringing up your name because of your ties uh, to the Ohio Pharmacist Association. And it just happened to be the right people, the right time to kind of be a change agent, if you will, which is why we need to join these organizations to support work like the people like you are, people like you are doing. And I, I can't say enough about that. And I know your dad and your sister are both pharmacists. So even though you aren't, obviously you have skin in the game other ways. What other things do you think pharmacists need to be paying attention to, getting involved with, or, heck, even if it's just, you know, sending a check to pay their dues, if you will, to kind of push things like what you're doing? I
0: mean, you've got to support the organizations that are driving, you know, accountability uh, in this system and trying to make it better. Uh, PBM problems are, are, are just really one component uh, of, of what pharmacy needs. I mean, it's no secret. Pharmacy's in some very challenging times but as are the patients that, you know, the pharmacists are serving, yep. um, you know, you got to support the organizations, APHA, your state association, NCPA, whatever it is, but uh, you know, don't stop there. You know, pharmacists really need to be more involved holistically, you know, for the, I'll try and be brief here, but every, all, everything starts and then it, then it blows up eventually, you know, we it started with a pharmacist basically telling me, Mark Kratzer in Wilmington, Ohio. I'm Antonio, I'm getting I'm getting paid nothing. I sat down with an employer and she showed me what she was getting charged on prescriptions at my pharmacy. We sat down with a couple lawmakers. The lawmakers just absolutely their heads exploded. Those lawmakers both worked their way into House and Senate leadership in the state of Ohio, and they decided to push even harder. That got the state auditor, Dave Yost, involved. We all know what happened in Ohio with Dave Yost's big audit that revealed $244 million. Scott Knorr was a a big part of, of our ongoing efforts to bring accountability in Ohio. We then sat down with the Columbus Dispatch, who started actually investigating this system top to bottom. 170 pieces and podcasts and articles later. You know, they're actually also rep- represented in the Supreme Court case. Mike DeWine, who was state attorney general at the time, now our governor, was you know somebody who signed onto the Rutledge case. And then other states across the country were also signed onto that. So you see just this one little domino that starts with a pharmacist back home raising, raising an issue that needs to be addressed and all the things that can come from that moment. It's not. You've got to support the organizations. Absolutely. Otherwise, guys like me wouldn't have been in a place at that time to sit down with the Columbus Dispatch and these lawmakers. But I think every pharmacist should not necessarily stop there and say, I set my check and now everything should be on autopilot. They also need to take control of their own fates and be a part of the process to be what that next domino might be.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good call out there, too. And, you know, just like you said, obviously, join the organizations, but being an advocate, not only for yourself, but for your patients and speaking up for the right thing to be done. That's. It's just it's such a huge thing, and you know it's like the butterfly effect, like you said. You know, they butterfly flaps its wings, and a hurricane comes off the coast of Africa. You're skipping a lot of steps in between there, but that's you know essentially what happened with this domino that fell in our state of Ohio. So, Antonio, thanks for doing everything. I know I appreciate everything that you've done for our profession, and I love seeing the work that you guys put out there. So, obviously, I know you're going to keep it up. I don't have to tell you that, but thanks for coming on the podcast and just being a a healthcare hero, even though you're not in the front lines.
0: Uh, Thanks for what you do, Eric. We need more pharmacists that use their mouths. So uh, bless you for your podcast and all that you do to work with pharmacists and uh, back in the communities.
1: All right, listeners. If you can, share the heck out of this. I think this is a message we need to get out to everybody in pharmacy and basically even even patient advocate groups so they understand kind of what we're fighting for alongside with them. So share this where you can. Please join your state orgs and kind of follow some of the advice you heard on this podcast. And as always... Thanks for listening to the Political Pharmacist Podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.